Money FM 89.3. Best of drive time. It's time now for our regional roundup where we take a look at headlines from the Southeast Asian region. We've got Thailand's upcoming general election to talk about as well as the latest on the ASEAN summit happening in Indonesia. On the line with us is Dr. Felix Tan, political observer, Nanyang Technological University. Dr. Felix, good afternoon. How are you? I'm very good. Good afternoon to you, Elliot. Got quite a few things to talk about, especially with regard to Thailand. I'm going to mm. depend on you with regard to <laughs> pronunciations. But let's talk about this. I'll do my best. <laughs> May 14th, a big day because it's a general election. Mm-hmm. Um, to start us off, who are the front runners for this general election? Who should we look out for? Mm-hmm. I think for one, uh, one of the front runners, as an ex- expected, is the daughter of exile, former Prime Minister Thaksin Shinawat, yeah. Miss Peitong Tan Shinawat. I mean, we have talked about her quite a number of times. But not only does she represent the ideals of her father, many still see her some sort of an extension of that. Mm. And, you know, uh, the, the martyr doom or martyrhood, sorry, pardon me, the, the martyrhood status of Thaksin simply continues to be, you know, seen through her, you know, in this election. But I think beyond that, I, she'll probably face some competition. I think from within her party, there's Srita Tavisin that might have uh, might overshadow her as well. So that's within her party as well. Uh, but I think other possible front runners will also include Peter Limjaronrat from the Move Forward Party, the young, uh, you know, one of the younger candidates, mm. as well as former Deputy Prime Minister Prawit Wongsu Wan from the Palang Pracharat Party. And he was under uh, Prayut Chan Ocha's, you know, the administration at the time. We also cannot rule out Prayut as well. Mm. I think he is still capable of getting some some sort of support. But it seems that the polls right now is showing that he's lagging far behind. Okay. Okay. Usually every demographic of a country has their own needs or their own expectation mm. when elections come around. Is it similar this time around or is there a collective concern that Thai people are looking at? Mm-mm-mm. I think there are somewhat of a similar concern, okay. but of course there's one that will you know, stand out from all the other you know, elections in this region. I think that one we'll talk about in a bit. So sure. there are at least three main issues that we can look at. You know, firstly, there is of course the embattled economy you know, mm. post-COVID. Uh, many ties are still reeling from the repercussions of the pandemic and not least from the northeastern part of Thailand as well. And of course, you know, southern part of Thailand. Uh, secondly, there is the political reform, and this seems to be affecting a lot of political parties, or at least this is part of the you know, things that they are looking out for. Uh, they are more inclined to work uh, towards tapping the youth uh, in this coming election. So political reform, such as the last majest laws, or we look at that, and, yep, yep. Uh, as well as the powers or restricting the powers of the military, who has you know, seats in the parliament, regardless how the election will turn out. And of course, thirdly, there is the issue of cannabis legislation. Mm-hmm. I think uh, that is the, the, the odd one out, right? Because yeah, yeah. Thailand has somewhat legalized cannabis and has affected some of the farmers who have actually switched to growing cannabis since the drug was legalized in Thailand. But I think, you know, legalizing cannabis has indeed created a lot of uh, social havoc in yeah. Thailand, you know, and uh, there is still this Cannabis Act, which is still not enacted because of this election. I see. Dr. Felix, if we were to look from outside Thailand as governments around this region, who's going to want to pay attention most to what happens uh, with regard to this election? Who has the most, I should I say, consequential uh, benefit or consequential uh, agenda, if I'm phrasing this correctly? 
I, I think what, what this region will want to look out for is stability within Thailand. And okay. that is important. And I think, you know, having a dominant party winning in this particular election, be it, you know, uh, the Per Thai party, if that's going to be the case, then I think it might actually allow the Per Thai party to have some form of control over mm. the government and form a very uh, tight government at this point in time. Because I think in the past uh, administration under Prayut, it was a coalition of political parties, which, you know, it can be a bit shaky. And we all know about coalition par- yeah. political yeah. parties, you know, <laughs> or coalition governments. They can break up and they can have other views that might you know, induce some sort of instability within the country. Mm. Let's talk about the uh, former Prime Minister, Thaksin Shinawat. He says he wants to return from self-exile before his July 26th birthday. He said this in a tweet. So the election's happening May 14th. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to ask straight, how, how much <laughs> is this going to depend on his daughter, uh, Peyton Tan Shinawat, uh, winning? <laughs> <laughs> I think in this case, in this tweet of his, I think either his very and absolutely confident <laughs> that the Per Thai party is yep. going to win and there's no two ways to it and win big in this election. Or he's just using this as a distraction to drum up more support for his daughter. Yeah. I think either way, that's going to be the situation. But I think, you know, it, this might actually go all south <laughs> if Thais, especially those royalist military elites, do not want to see a return of any of the Thaksin administration. And, you know, that might actually end up in a not-so-good situation. Mm. But given the huge support that he's receiving, and especially from the rural Thais, I think his tweet will further galvanise even more support for his daughter and the Per Thai in general. And I think we might see a lot more of the Thais coming out to vote and then make their vote count in this particular election. It's like your point earlier saying that the, a lot of Thai people see his daughter, Peyton Tan, as an extension of, of Thaksin and, and what Thaksin has done in the past. This is going to make him very confident uh, should his daughter win, you know, in terms of, of coming back to the country. What are the odds, and if I'm ignorant to certain laws that may have been passed, what are the odds of Thaksin potentially returning to politics on some scale? Well, <laughs> I think, you know, he, he'll probably return to politics in the background. I okay. don't think that okay. he will be in the front line of politics. And I, and given the situation and how things, you know, have changed the development in Thailand, I think it's better that he'll be in the back end, at least giving support to his daughter or mm. at least to this, you know, revamped Thai Rak Thai party, kind of per Thai party right now. So I think, you know, he'll stay behind uh, the, the scenes rather than being in the front. And I think whether he can return to Thailand also depends on the constitutional courts as well as whether the military have a say in, in this, in, in you know, ensuring that he comes back to Thailand uh, freely as well. Okay, let's talk a little bit about, I know you mentioned it earlier, the whole issue of legalizing cannabis. Uh, there's an act that needs to be passed, that's one thing. I suppose I, I want to recycle a question from earlier, like for us around the region, especially in Singapore with strict drug yeah. laws, how are we paying attention to this? Mm-hmm. I, I think there is, of course, a, a need to amend the laws. At, at this point in time in Thailand, it's almost a free-for-all status, you know, mm. uh, at this point. And nobody knows exactly how it can be controlled. I mean, there is the law that which I've said, you know, which i mentioned. And I think at this point, this issue is with the legislation of cannabis, namely allowing its possession, cultivation, distribution and consumption, and as well as a sale of that. So I think so as some candidates, you know, have already asked for is that they will want cannabis to be placed back on this narcotics list so that it can be better controlled. Okay. And this cannabis act which makes 
cannabis legal for only specifically medical and culinary uses. Okay, how that works, I I, I will not go further into that either. So, uh, but specifically, you know, it has stated that the cannabis for recreation is not included in a permitted use. So, and I think, you know, because the act is not enacted, it's, again, like I said, free for all status. But as far as that is, cannabis smoking is considered uh, a public nuisance and you know, prohibited in public areas in, in Thailand, at least. All yeah. right. ASEAN Summit in Indonesia, that's our next uh, port of call. <laughs> um, <laughs> as far as discussions go, what are we expecting? I guess Myanmar is surely going to come out mm-hmm. somehow. Mm-mm-mm. I think there's always going to be an elephant or oh, the yes. elephant in the room, you know. And what can one expect from this summit that is not purely about economic cooperation, increasing bilateral ties and remaining steadfast as a reliable, neutral organization, regional organization in the midst of, let's say, you know, the US-China debacle and mm. also the Myanmar crisis. I think these are going to be the huge, you know, areas of discussion that will overshadow or at least be in the summit. Uh, one of the areas that we're looking at also is the South China Sea, you know, yeah. code of conduct. Yeah. And, you know, that's been just outstanding for a number of years. Yeah. Actually, as a point of clarification, Dr. Felix, mm-hmm. with these summits, I mean, how useful are they actually? We go there, we sign an agreement. You still expect some form of follow-up after that, some of legislation that needs to be enacted, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, of course. The, the thing is that once they have an agreement, they have to bring it back to the countries and okay. they need to get it approved within their own parliaments as well. So I think that is a process of it, getting it through. And usually it gets stuck in that country and before moving on further. And there will be lots of work to do with uh, looking at the final details of the agreement as well and how else can they implement it. I think that is one area, looking at the details. Second area is whether, you know, even though it's agreed upon, mm-hmm. is whether these countries or these governments, if they don't change you know, that drastically, yeah. will they be able to enforce what has already been agreed or can they, you know, can they uh, shift backwards or, you know, uh, what, what can they change? So I think there are lots of things that we have need, to, need to work out and be mindful of whether they have the political will uh, to, to do it. Okay, so it's uh, still a bit more of a runway to go. Uh, final issue, two Singapore embassy employees in Yangon, part of ASEAN convoy that was attacked in Myanmar. Quite unfortunate. Uh, Dr. Felix, what do we know so far from this, uh, especially in terms of uh, reaction from other countries? Yeah, I think so far we have gotten the reaction, at least from Singapore and from the Indonesian side. Uh, we don't have much from the others. You know, they've been quiet in ASEAN. I think uh, the reaction has so far been, you know, the who to blame, uh, yeah. who, who actually attacked the, the convoy. Mm. So I think the, the, the Myanmar military has blamed it on the separatist forces and uh, so-called terrorist activities, you know, of certain, you know, a loose organization in this part of the country. Uh, the, the NUG, you know, uh, and its affiliated People's Defense Force has not admitted to any responsibility to this attack either. Okay. So it's a case of call my bluff, you know, who would you want to believe, you know, and in, in such a volatile situation, no one really know better either. You know, for both Singapore and Indonesia, you know, they have come up strongly to condemn the attack yeah. on ASEAN members, especially when they are doing this as part of the humanitarian aid. Yeah. You know, on the one hand, there are those who might view that this uh, this grouping, this ASEAN humanitarian aid, are aligned with the Myanmar junta, and therefore, if they are attacked, you know, it's fine, you know, for 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 this group. But on the other hand, if you are the military and you would choose to see ASEAN humanitarian aid workers, perhaps even as helping these separatists. So neither side is willing to trust the other side. And ASEAN, I feel, is simply caught in the middle of it without a 
clear concept or clear plan of how to proceed further without getting the two sides together at the table. All right. It looks like uh, we'll have to wait out for more findings from investigations before really mm. diving into the deeper details. But I do appreciate your insight today. I've been speaking with Dr. Felix Tan, Political Observer, Nanyang Technological University. Dr. Felix, as always, thank you. Take care and have a great Wednesday evening. Thank you. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.